wonder, curiosity, and questioning is the is the the force for creativity. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to Learning Unboxed. Today's episode is more conversation about the role of arts in community and education and why those are so incredibly, incredibly important. So I am your host, Annalise Corbin, and I am, as always, very excited about my guest. Uh, Today joining us is Cindy Myers Foley, who is the Executive Deputy Director for Learning and Experience at the Columbus Museum of Art. And that is a mouthful. I want to start with that, um, Cindy. (laughs) Um, And so a little bit about Cindy. Cindy, she has been in this space for um, a number of years. I've had the privilege and the pleasure of being able to work with her on and off over the years on a number of different initiatives. Um, And she's done everything from, um, you know, co-author books and work on manuals uh, to be doing um, TEDx events. She's been part of the Harvard Project Zero classroom summer program and a number of other things over the years. And so we're just so very, very thrilled to have you here. So thanks, Annalise. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So I want to just sort of dive right in. We've done a couple of uh, episodes now that we're really starting to dig into sort of the mm-hmm. role of the arts and design thinking more than anything else. And one of the things that I love about what the work that you do at the museum, and I want to talk a little bit about the Columbus Museum of Art and sort of its sort of role and its sort of philosophy, I guess, if sure. you will, as a community organization. But I want to tie that back specifically to your work around creativity and what all of that means. So let's start with the big picture. So tell tell our listeners from afar about the Columbus Museum of Art and sort of why it's really taken on a leadership role as it relates to arts education. So one of the things I love about the Columbus Museum of Art is I've been um, at the museum 13 years now. And when I I arrived, we were we were at a crossroads. We were starting a capital campaign. And like many museums, when you go through a capital campaign process, you begin to question, okay, so you know, we're gonna change externally. What do we do in the meantime mm-hmm. while that's taking place? And my director, Nanette Macy Junes, um, asked me a very thought-provoking question early on in this process as we're consulting with architects, and we're beginning to think about this transformation. She said, you know, what is, what's, the, what's the value of learning in this institution? What is the value? And it, by the way, if you could write like a one pager on that, Cindy, it'd be fantastic. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I want it by five o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> oh, even worse. Okay, there is a story to this. Even worse, she gives this to me on a Friday. I was about to leave for my vacation, and she said, you can get it to me when you're back. But of course, I knew I'd be haunted the entire vacation. So the the interesting part of this story is I was going to Provincetown, Massachusetts. And if you've ever been to Provincetown, it's this incredible artist colony on the very tip. It's one of the most progressive places you can ever imagine going. So the entire way to Provincetown, I'm trying to think about what's the value of learning in my institution. And here I am going to spend my 
leisure time, this time off, going to a place where artists gathered Mm -hmm. to think together, to revel in creativity, because it's what I value. I know it's what artists value. And I had this aha moment on the way to Provincetown (laughs) where it dawned on me, Nanette, you know, and when I get back, I didn't have that one pager mm-hmm. so that I, I had a, like, uh, you know, consensu- uh, the, the circles and, and in the center mm-hmm. was creativity. And I said, Nanette, here's what I'm thinking, that the role and value of learning in an art museum is that if you walk through a museum at any given time, our museum specifically, you're going to see the outputs of some of the most creative thinkers who've Mm -hmm. ever walked the planet, people who have challenged our norms, given us places to go that we could never have imagined, that what we value is creativity. So I don't have a one-pager, but I think as we go through this process, if you believe that too, we should really regroup and think about it. And here's why I love my director and it's sometimes challenging because what she says next is great. I'm fully behind this. So are we actually cultivating creativity now? And the challenging part of this story is over that next period of time, about three to five years, we began to evaluate everything mm-hmm. we were doing in the museum, any kind of experience we were providing, and realized that 80% of what we were doing was not cultivating thinking. So, you know, an example I often give, this was a typical, and it and still is in probably some institutions, but the typical thing is we'd have a Monet exhibition. Right, right. And we would say, oh, come down to the studio and we'll have paint set up and someone to show you mm-hmm. how to make something that looks like a mini Monet. But then the sad part of that story is you you didn't get to think like Monet. You didn't get to challenge the norms around how we perceive and how we experience the world and what things actually look like versus what we sense that they mm-hmm. look like. And of course, that's the brilliance of Monet. Right. But yet we weren't doing much to cultivate that in others. Right. And that's really the, it's a, a wonderful sort of segue because that's the moment that I really started engaging um, with the work that you were doing broadly at the museum. Is it the, the museum and the staff, you were in the thick of that work. Your capital campaign was going on. We were, we were launching in our work sort of it really to move it like you, um, sort of in sort of the next sort of the way that we might think. And how do we leverage that type of thinking? And that was part of the fun was being able to sort of dig in with you Mm -hmm. and say, well, if we were to take some of those ideas and put them into the community, what might it look like? And we tried, I remember many things over the course of the years, right? But it was... But it is those pivotal opportunities, and I love the fact that the museum chose to focus on not just trying the thing, but living the experience of trying the thing. Yeah. Right? And embodying what that meant internally as well as externally. Right. So to kind of give you a sense of what that messiness looked like, um, we opened in 2010, we opened Mm -hmm. a center for creativity. And that was, it was a space, it's, you know, 18,000 square feet, but it was also that philosophical shift. And it was the intentionality that 
everything we would do, we would try to cultivate these behaviors or dispositions Mm -hmm. that are intertwined with creativity. And we made a commitment to that. But one thing we weren't quite thinking about was the fact that we opened the center and within a month, I started getting calls from superintendents, Mm -hmm. local Mm -hmm. principals. Mm -hmm. And this is the moment, you will remember this, 21st century skills. Everybody's talking about them, right? And the principals were saying, we get collaboration. We get even critical thinking. But what does creativity look like? How do I know that my classes are, you know, cultivating? And the way we define creativity is probably important to insert here. We define creativity as the ability using the imagination and critical thinking to develop new ideas that have value. So, you know, a lot of folks began asking us, Mm -hmm. how do I, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And the crazy part is we 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 knew what creativity looked like. We had a sense of it. We'd been doing this work for a little while, but we realized we were going to have to go on that journey with educators. Absolutely. And and that's where we reached out to folks <laughs> yeah. like you. We reached out to a lot of different yeah. um everything from cultural organizations, but then there were some extraordinary educators in this right. community right. who immediately started mm-hmm. blowing our minds mm-hmm. around oh that's 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 the change that right. needed to take right. place and i think also to set a little bit of context and for our listeners who are are, are listening to what we're talking about could you just very briefly describe the space itself and i tell everybody because i get asked this question a million times as it relates to innovative spaces um, for a whole host of reasons obviously and 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 i tell folks all the time that you can do anything with what you have. But the reality is we do know that when there is the opportunity that space does matter. (laughs) So, um, but it doesn't have to, and it's not always a limiting factor, but I do think it's important for our listeners to understand what is that 18,000 square foot space physically capable of doing? Because I think it helps put the context in for the next piece of the conversation. Perfect. Well, it was in that space that we, using the word laboratory, by the way, is the smartest thing anyone can do when they don't quite know exactly what they're going to accomplish. But the one thing we knew is we were going to be incredibly intentional. So after starting this work, we came up with like nine behaviors of creativity that we were really committed to, that we noticed artists embody. Mm -hmm. So it was things like um, reflection and revision, a persistence through failure. A big one was a tolerance for ambiguity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were nine on this list. And we realized if we wanted folks to enact some of these behaviors, we had to give opportunities and use art as a catalyst for it. So we developed something we called, they they could be called a number of different things, but we called them connectors. Mm -hmm. And they were participatory engagements that connected the, the art, the viewer, and this kind of intentionality we had around some sort of behavior. So you might enter the space and I'll give you an example. It's 18,000 square feet and a lot of different kinds of spaces, mm-hmm. gallery spaces, right. classroom spaces. Right. But one of the galleries might be on the theme of motion. And one of the big ideas might be that um, artists make make something feel. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking yeah. at a two-dimensional yeah. image, but they make something feel like it's in motion. So we wanted our visitors to think about 
well, how are they doing, doing that? that? What does motion feel like? So we what does might, it look like? What does it look like? So an example would be then we know that we'd interview some of the artists or we'd know about their history. And we found out one of them would explore with dominoes mm-hmm. what it looks like and try to capture that moment of, of the fall, right, in, in photography. And so why not just let our visitors experiment with that same like motion and moment? Can they capture that too? Right. Or we might have a, a board up that says, um, what does motion f- sound like? Right. So I remember right. this is one we had that says, what does motion sound like? And then people would, on sticky notes, have I to remember read. this. And it was awesome. Yes. It was really awesome because some of people's sticky notes were, they oh, were just mind-blowing, but they were like, I would have never in a million years said that. Well, here's a perfect one. I, I think about this one all the time, especially right now in the summers yeah. of Ohio. Somebody wrote that mosquito that's right by your ear. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's how you know yeah. there's some Something. motion because you can hear that energy without ever seeing anything. Right, right. And so what happens is visitors leave these thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, and folks begin to add to them. Mm-hmm. They then can add stories. But a great example of one that our visitors won't let us remove is right before the center opened, we had these little shelves and we wanted to have some sort of opportunity to use the imagination. And for us, the imagination is the ability to conceive of what is not, right? right. Can you make something that isn't there out of something? And um, we were a little desperate. We were running late. The The center wasn't quite up and, and we didn't I, quite have materials. I remember this is so yeah. awesome. And yes. So somebody said, you know, for some reason we have a whole lot of twist ties. Yeah. Why don't we just leave out piles of twist ties? We'd never really used it as an art material. We put them out and within, I say, days, we had these... Um, unbelievable structures starting to be built on these shelves. We would have um, boats that yeah. people would make out of twist ties. Yeah. But then a next visitor would come in and add a fish attached to a line. And then someone would have a bigger fish about to eat that fish. And these were all just constructed and left behind by our visitors. And one person's imagination would trigger someone else's. Mm. And so, you know, once a year, we do take the twist eyes down and we replace them with white Legos. Legos yeah. <laughs> but our, our visitors have said, this is something. And here's an interesting fact. A couple of years ago, we looked at who participates mm-hmm. with all these connectors throughout the... They used to just be in the Center for Creativity. Right. They're throughout the building right. now. Yep. Um, something like 70% of our participants, sometimes higher... Are adults. Yeah. No, and I have I have watched. So as an anthropologist, many of my listeners know that my background is an anthropologist. And so we spend by design a tremendous amount of time observing humanity. <laughs> I, I always like to say we are in fact the scientists of humanity. And and as such, we we watch a lot. And what I can tell you is that without fail, when I am in the Columbus Museum of Art, whether I'm there for a book meeting or I'm there to go see a new exhibit, and I do, uh, my son and I go uh, to the museum, you know, or I'm there for a thousand other reasons in our community that you might show up at the Columbus Museum of Art. And I could say that just intuitively, by and large, the people actively doing and all the kids are who are there are actively doing. Oh, yeah. Right? They're the models. Yeah, yeah, well, they're the players, right? But the reality is it's the adults 
Mm-hmm. It's the adults in the room who are almost always the most engaged with the thing. The mm-hmm. chance to touch, to explore, to build, to create. Whether they realize they're engaged in it or not, but they're the ones who... And you can just you can watch it processing through. And I think part of it is we, as we get older, we forget the value of just that creative process that's available to us. Um, You know, I have an ancillary um, with your your story on the twist ties. For for many, many, many years, I struggled with how to teach my grad students in my, um, you know, world world archaeology and anthropology courses. How do we know what we know when there are no words left behind? (laughs) Right? And it's, it's this ongoing issue is, you know, prior to a written text that tells me in in words or in graphics, specifically what my messaging is yeah. back to the world. How do I really know? And how do I deal with the interpretive value mm-hmm. of what I know? Or that somebody's creativity, or is it fiction, or is it real, or is there a story that they're trying to tell, right? And we would use a process of interpreting public art by creating public art. And Absolutely. I saw very similar things. It didn't matter which method I used to do this experiment with my students. The reality of it was, as soon as you put it out there, a blank slate, a set of twisty ties, a piece of butcher bar- paper, and you ask people to engage with you, suddenly the creativity of the story, mm. and it's iterative, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It feeds. It reminds me of one of the early partnerships that we started that, of course, I was not expecting, but makes p- total sense today. I got a, a call from some folks at the medical school, and they wanted to figure out, they they had They'd learned that we offered a program for fifth graders specifically around critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And I I ended up in a conversation with the dean of the med school. And he says at High State University, Cindy, you know, the the incredible thing about med students today is they have done so well in the education system that we have produced. They are incredible test takers. They can memorize like crazy. (laughs) They are... um, brilliant human beings. But by second year med school, they get introduced to patients. Mm -hmm. And he felt that they were floundering. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, part of that was because they, one, didn't love collaboration. Well, they didn't know how to do it. Right. They had never experienced what generative collaboration could look like. And two, they had a, a they did not have a tolerance for ambiguity. They wanted things to be black or white. They want to be able to pass the test. Right. Right. No matter how you you approach that. And right. let's think about, uh, you could take any human being who has any ailment and walk into three different doctor's office and get three different diagnoses. Exactly. Right. And he said, but you know, what we know is that um, diagnosing a patient is far more like interpreting a work of art mm-hmm. than it is about taking a test. And the more voices that you get, the more thinking that you have to do around that work of art, the more you come to the right conclusions. So, you know, that was when we started creating like a three-hour um experience where we would go into the galleries with med school um, students. And now we work with everything from, you know, the medical school to the veterinary Mm -hmm. school. But we have a a large swath of med students who are, you know, pushing that thinking and it's helping them uh, think differently about the practice of medicine by using a 
work of art as a catalyst. It's reminding them about their humanity. And I think that that is one of the things as we've sort of tracked the sort of um, the journey, if you will, through modern education systems. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that a lot on this program. Um, we, We got to a point where we... We sterilize something that should have never been sterilized, right? And because we did that, we created an entire generation, I would argue, at least two, maybe 2.5 generations, a whole nother episode, right? Yes. Um, of folks who who are capable but have no idea how. And yeah. I think it's because there's this disconnect somewhere along the way where we've tra- we've we've taken knowledge and we've said it's not connected mm-hmm. not just to the world but even to you as the user or the purveyor of that thing, right? And so you've lost touch yeah. with your your world and with humanity as a result of that. And so when we toss folks and 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 the medical students and I remember the first time you told me this story actually and I was like, "Oh, that is brilliant for mm-hmm. starters. It's just brilliant." And second, and of course, you know, brilliant. Um but it's meaningful because yeah. it was going to have the potential, and now there's enough years in, and you know how well it works. Um, and I've talked to folks over at OSU at the medical school who, and I've talked to participants who've gone through that program actually, yeah. and they remember it vividly. Yeah, and they remember how that experience reminded them mm-hmm. to think about what they were looking at very differently, and um, so it does in fact work. And it's and it's one of these wonderful sort of, of tools, if you will, that any teacher in any school, any community, whether you're museum or otherwise, you can do this every day with students from little ones to full-grown adults. You can run this exercise a thousand different ways and have the same sort of meaningful impact. Absolutely. Well, and I think what you're getting at is we as an institution, um, as we shifted gears, realized we had to cultivate and think about how to how to be creative thinkers ourselves mm-hmm. and how to work with our community to begin designing these experiences. What what also the be, began to shock and and almost make us like you know, wondrous is when we we started working with educators specifically. We had the first summer we had fifteen educators in a in a teaching for creativity institute, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these were educators who found out we were doing something like this and were so hungry. They knew they wanted to change their practice, yeah. and and we both know these educators. They were ready for someone just to catalyze them to mm-hmm. to light that ignition. And after about two years of working with educators, it dawned on us that our job wasn't just to encourage. And we use, we often talk about the, the, the Columbus Museum of Art as a soft power that we underestimated for decades. Mm-hmm. And that soft power is when a principal hears, oh, the Columbus Museum of Art is interested in what you're doing. Well, then I'm going right. to give you a little yeah. bit more space to exactly. do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we decided we we're going to capitalize on that, but we also realized why don't we do a little bit of research? We've seen what's happened in our own programs. Right. We've evaluated, you know, some of that thinking mm-hmm. that the doctors or our preschool programs or even our teen programs, we were seeing what was happening. But we said, what does it look like, sound like, and feel like mm-hmm. in classrooms around Central Ohio where there are engaged educators that are pushing 
us to even think differently. And can I quantify that for somebody oh. else, right? Because that's going to be the other backside of all this, you right? Bet. Yeah. Yeah. So we we actually started a project called Making Creativity Visible. Right. And I had a, a very small role, but my favorite role in the project, one, I, I would talk about it, but my favorite role was I was assigned to a particular classroom. And, um, you know, Emily Reeser is a teacher in Bexley, and she was the one I got to go sit in. And I would just pay attention. I'd have my rubric there and I would listen. And what I realized she did as an educator that we could all learn from is um, I remember the morning I came in and she in her palm um, had a box and she said, Cindy, I'm scrapping everything that I told you we were going to do today. And she opens the box up and you may remember this time it was uh, May. She said, the cicadas are coming. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So these juicy, you know, these 16-year cicadas or whatever uh -huh. they're called had started to emerge. And she said, so I'm going with it. And what she realized is that wonder, curiosity, and questioning is the, is the, the force for creativity. Mm -hmm. And so she would bring this object. And I remember we were in there with kindergartners and she said, okay, you all will not believe what I've got in my hand. Over the next couple of days, this, and she opens the box, and there's that wonder face, uh -huh. right? <gasps> what is that? And she said, these are going to start emerging from the ground. They're going to be coming up in the hundreds, and we're going to see them everywhere. And the kids are, you know, just, yeah. you know, full of wonder. And, and then immediately that turns to curiosity, and they're starting to ask questions. And she says, okay, but here's our challenge. What's going to happen to them once they all get here? And she begins to ask questions like, where are they going to live? What are they going to do? And the kids then mm -hmm. riff off that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's going to be babies. Are, are, who's going to take care of the babies? Are there going to be schools? And she's like, I don't know. I think we can help. Yeah. And she lets go of the reins. Yeah. And they begin to make... Um, uh, some of the kids took cardboard and made high-rise story, you know, little mm -hmm. houses for the, all the babies. Others would, uh, you know, make um, buses and transportation devices. Uh, you know, they 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 just started to not only embody that imaginative space, but they had empathy for mm -hmm. these. And I remember some of them were like, "Oh, we we have to find something so the mamas and the babies can stay together." Mm -hmm. And and it was this glorious moment where they were asking lots of questions. And during the class, she would Google and find out more to answer their questions. But she allowed for that emergent curiosity. Take over her classroom. Yeah. And I realized, okay, that's transdisciplinary mm -hmm. learning. That's the learning I think we all got to be focusing on is when our curiosity and that that wonder, curiosity, and questioning mm -hmm. is sparked, then we lead the learning. Mm -hmm. Educators are, you know, get to just be the, the facilitators mm -hmm. of that moment and they 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 play a role, mm -hmm. but we are the ones activating. And that's the best moment, right? Because that truly is the embodiment of that learning unboxed, right? Yes. We, we have said we're going to let, we're going to let the off the shelf go away. We're going to let what we think we know go away. We're going to completely empower and entrust. Yeah. We're going to entrust this 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 group that we're immersed in with figuring out the next question. Yeah. Right. And they did not need her to do anything more than provide the opportunity and yeah. the environment in which it was safe 
to just run, right? right? And we see that certainly at past all the time. And the most successful teachers and the most successful programs are quite frankly, the ones who are teaching less, <laughs> listening more, and engaging with their audience. Whether that means, you know, in a preschool classroom, you're you're sitting on the floor with your kids, mm-hmm. right? Or your elbows deep in the sand pit with them or the cicadas, right? Yes. Or with your high school students, you're fully admitting, I have no idea, let's find out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and everything in between, obviously, right? And and the other thing that she did so beautifully, and I've also met that teacher, um, the thing that she does so beautifully, I think, circled back around is she allowed those kids to draw from their own experience and then catalyze that experience into what was possible next, even though they didn't have the experience to know the mm. next. You could watch it. Yeah. And you could even see it in your expression as you're telling the story when you recognized how she was doing that so effectively. And once again, these little these little human beings fully in touch with their humanity in that moment, right? Because yes. there was no constraint. Yes. But to give you a, another example of what that looks like, even with a sixth grade class, is Emily had a project once that I was observing where she gave the kids a light bulb and that cord that you could mm-hmm. plug in. And she said, over the next six weeks, all I want you to really do is create. Now, this was not a, a simple challenge. Sure. Sixth graders. Yeah, so. yeah. I wanted you to create a light fixture that would shine a light on a social issue that means something to you. Mm. So in that first week, what they had to unpack is, well, what are your social issues and what are ones that mean something to, to me? me? Right, yeah. So the kids went home, interviewed parents. They had conversations about social issues. They came back, discussed those. And then they had to start like researching, well, what if these resonate with me? It might resonate with dad, but maybe it's not yeah. my thing. yeah. And there was a point where I, my colleague and I got to go in and we, we started interviewing some of the students. And I remember a young girl, she, she said, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to show you what we're working on. And she said, well, I started, you know, at first I knew I wanted to have a shadow and that shadows um, would be actually projected over top of a pill. Oh, because... The the social issue that means something to me is mental health. And the more I learned about that, that often people with mental health issues need medicine, but they also need therapy. They need all these sorts of, but I couldn't get the shadow to, to accompany all that. So then I thought, and, and she kept saying, and then I thought, and that made me think, and then I did. And just her language, mm-hmm. the language of questioning and the intensity of, of what she was discovering through that process was unbelievable. And um, what we end up learning is, you know, we come back for the last visit. She had not finished her project. She had gone so deep and so curious and had tried so many projects that hadn't quite worked that at the end, she had not completed a final project. 
And I remember talking to Emily, like, okay, what are, what are you going mm-hmm. to do? Because they're going to have this showcase for the parents. And, you know, with an art project like that, you're going to have to show something. And I think we were all somewhat concerned until we said, well, wait a minute. We have the video of her talking. Yeah. Her yeah. thinking was what was so incredible. That power of her ideas and the way she was investigating something that was meaningful to her was then what she ended up showing to mm-hmm. her parents. Mm-hmm. And it even makes me, you know, like, even today, I yeah, know, I can see you get all excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's yeah. that's that's learning that matters. It is it is learning that matters and it's learning that's incredibly powerful and transformational. And you know, I just literally today had the opportunity to have an experience. It was very similar in the sense that we have a student at PASS who's going to be a senior this coming year. So the student is in and around us all the time um, who very, very much wants to have her background be some type of graphic design something. She hasn't quite figured out what that's going to be, right? But but maybe it has something to do with on the production side Mm -hmm. of graphic design. And so she's interning with us this summer. And we've asked her to look around and observe, right? And she's one of her kids on our robotics program and she's very, very creative and she's been immersed in lots of things. But we said to her, we want you to tell our story. And mm-hmm. that, was, that was the full, that's the Quest. breadth and depth yeah. of the instructions. You tell our story. Mm-hmm. We want you to tell it in a series of vignettes, maybe connected, maybe not. But we want you to look around, take what you know, take what you think, take what you see, and recraft our story. And mm. a whole series of these buckets that we gave her, here are some lenses through which mm-hmm. we want a story told. And so this morning, I got to to watch the one that she she literally did this on Friday because somebody said to her, what are these STEM bridge program things and why should I sign my kid up? That's great. Right, and it's the exact same thing. And it is a narrative of her explaining to mm-hmm. the world what she perceives those definitions, mm-hmm. those components are. Mm-hmm. And it's her thinking it out loud. Yeah, yeah. And it, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't it make you think, because even with the, the story of the young lady in Emily's class, when I've shown that to teachers, one of the questions that comes back around that we always end up asking is, does the product even matter in the end? And where is the role of the product? Because that's that's what we celebrate. We we celebrate how did well did you do on the test? Right. What was the the final product? Mm-hmm. You know, what was your mm-hmm. concert? Did you do well in the concert? But we don't say that thinking that happened, that that grappling with mm-hmm. ideas, the 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 failure and that persistence through the failure. Right. right. It doesn't get highlighted. So how do we grapple with the system we've created mm-hmm. that really puts all the emphasis at the end? Right. And and the product, I would argue, because we, you know, through our process, we we constantly are talking about P3. I think you've heard us talk about it mm-hmm. before. And and for us, that's that sort of problems, projects, and products. And and we do believe that the product is important, but only because. You have to click a box that says I evaluated something. But the reality is the space between the project Mm -hmm. and the thing you produce at the end is where the greatest learning takes place. 
Right. Right. And so, yeah. yep, I got to check the box because I have to report to the state. We have all these requirements. Yeah. But the reality of it is, and you know, you proved it so many times that her product was supposed to be this thing to show her parents. And the product ended up being the demonstration of her thought process, which was a thousand times more powerful mm-hmm. than had she done anything else with that, right? You know, at the end of the day, in many, many ways, the journey there was was incredible. Well, it, it reminds me of a story about art, which is that often people say, uh, you know, that, that, oh, you know, the most creative artists are the Picassos. Well, actually, if you look at the history of art, the Picassos produced a lot, right. and they typically produced them young and early, and, but some of the the artists that are the most revered today, the Renoirs, the, uh, you know, some of um, the ones that we think about, for decades, they worked on perfecting and mm-hmm. thinking about one thing. And it's a long game mm-hmm. that their products didn't emerge early, that they were grappling with the way culture and society and, and how mm-hmm. their work fit with it. And that we have to start thinking about learning mm-hmm. in that different paradigm is it the picasso paradigm right. or is it you know this other paradigm which is far more um about a life of learning yeah and i think you know if you think about the the ceramic folk artists um from the american southeast for example right yeah. there's a rich rich culture of amazing folk artists um involved in a variety of different ceramic trades and think about how many times they made the pot mm-hmm. right mm-hmm it is iteration and iteration and iteration and iteration of this little functional thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That over time, when you you put out the collection, you can see the growth Absolutely. of the artist, the skill. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you see when you lay them out like that, very archaeologically, <laughs> yeah. I would point out, um, <laughs> when you lay your pots out that way, the other thing that that I always tell my students that you can see is not only do you see the iterations of skill from point mm-hmm. A to point Z, you see the iteration of the way they're thinking about that thing, mm-hmm. right? Because it becomes more decorative, less functional. It becomes, you know, there's all these different Absolutely. permutations, but you can literally watch. And I think you're example is spot on. It's it's the ongoing, the repetitive fashion of thinking about the thing that I'm trying to do via via a story I'm trying to convey, mm-hmm. right? Which I Absolutely. think brings you back around then to the sort of making creativity visible in the program and the impact. So I'm I'm a teacher in Arizona, let's say, and I, I just heard this and I'm just enamored with, with Cindy Foley and I so desperately want to be part of what's happening. How do I do that? Well, what does that look like yeah, for me? I, you know, I would say that if you're if you're from away, there are resources that you can find on our website. Everything from the rubric that mm-hmm. I've mentioned that's specifically for educators. We have had educators come from Boston and, and Pittsburgh and different places to be a part of our institute. Uh, I I think w- one of the best things you can do, though, is if you're if you're really interested in creativity having a place in your classroom is to get a sense of how do you cultivate your sense of developing new ideas 
And I, I, I'm going to take a moment just right here to kind of put in a little commercial break. Um, and it's funny, it's not a commercial about <laughs> what we're doing, but I, I need to separate the mythology that's often attached to creativity and just say, if you Google children in creativity, you often get these horrible images of kids with paint yeah, all over, you know, right. whereas what we found from the making creativity visible is that creativity is often ponderous. It's thinking, mm-hmm. it's mapping out our ideas, it's in, in dialogue with people that you trust. So, First off, I think all of us have to get comfortable that we are creative humans. We develop ideas and we do something with those ideas. But how do you do that? Is it through cooking? And and do you have ways of communicating that to your students? And do you bring that sense of experimentation and play into your classroom? And I think that's one of the things we really put a lot of emphasis on is we can't of our students if we can't embody it ourselves. There was a really early experience with a a group of gifted educators, and they had told us in the morning, oh, we're really having trouble. Students, are are, they can't stand open-ended questions. So they go to lunch, (laughs) the educators, my team and I, we we thought, oh, okay, let's give them some sort of experience they might be able to do with their students when they get back. They come back after lunch, and we'd given them this challenge where they all had a small little container of Legos and they had to make what the idea of metaphor would look like out of Legos. Okay, granted, that is very challenging. Very Um, abstract. Incredibly abstract. (laughs) I don't think we ever gave it again, but you know, the whole idea was to 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 push them. Within minutes though, we had I had probably had two educators that needed to use the bathroom uh-huh. at that exact yep. moment. Uh-huh. Another group that indicated, oh, you know, I need to leave early today. So, and then another group that just refused to do the project altogether. Yep. Yep. I think what we have to understand as educators is that creativity is difficult. That mm-hmm. ambiguity, the not knowing what's on the other side. That white wall. It's terrifying. It's it's terrifying. It's not just terrifying to us sometimes. Stepping over that threshold Mm -hmm. into that new space, it's terrifying to our students. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most important things we, we talk to educators about right now is the transparency. When you feel that, just be honest with yourself, maybe those around Mm -hmm. you, like this is scaring me a little bit. I don't know where this is going to go. I'm not I'm I'm not super comfortable, but I know if I want to practice these behaviors and dispositions of creative thinkers, I'm going to have to step over the threshold. And we've found that's really helped mm-hmm. teachers mm-hmm. because it is very challenging to say I'm not sure where the, my class might go. Right. But I need to do it if I want to them to think that way too. We 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 need to not lose sight of the fact that we all benefit from time to time in being scaffolded in our experiences. You bet. Yes. So, absolutely. And we we see that with with uh classrooms with teachers with the experiences all the time. We mm. we we collectively benefit from the chance to try to fail in a safe environment, but 
but to scaffold our level of experience mm-hmm. all the way through. So um, thank you so very much for, thank you for joining having. me yeah. today. So uh, and having this conversation for our listeners, we'll have lots of these resources that you heard us and talking about will be available on the website. So uh, please download them and as always reach out. Uh, Columbus Museum of Art is a amazing gem, not just within our city, um, with our entire region, and quite frankly, has a lot to offer for everybody else. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Past. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin, and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.